Numbers chapter 32. I hope that all the young people will pay particular attention tonight. Even young people like Daniel Jones and Stephen Eastland and Eric Sharon. All the young people. You can understand what I'm going to tell you tonight, and I hope you'll never forget it. I'm going to give you eight words, and when you go home tonight, I hope that you'll remember those eight words, and I hope that eight years from now, you'll remember those eight years, those eight words, and when you're 18, I hope you'll remember those eight words, and I hope they'll serve you well through your life. In Numbers chapter 32, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. They've been wandering in circles for 40 years. And they have come up on the east side of the Jordan River. They came up on that side of the Jordan River 40 years earlier. The spies went in and saw the land, that there were giants there, and the cities had walls up to heaven, so they thought. They were probably only 30 or 40 feet high. But when you don't have faith in God, everything looks high. The spies came back and gave an evil report, and the people were discouraged, and they wouldn't take the land. So God let them wander in circles for 40 years until the old generation died off and the young generation was going to get a second crack at the land. Well, they come up to the Jordan River again, and while they're there on the east side of the Jordan River, and there's seven great nations on the other side, great nations, walled cities, equipped armies, and giants. Two tribes, the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben looked at all that beautiful property on the east side of the Jordan River, and they said, Moses, we've got so much cattle that this land looks great here. Can we stay on this side of the Jordan River? And Moses lit into them. He didn't wait for one phrase of explanation. He lit into them here in Numbers chapter 32. He takes up in verse 6, And he runs down through verse 15. And if you were to read those verses, and I'm not going to do it right now, he sets into those two tribes and tells them, you are no better than your fathers that were here 40 years ago, and we've just finished 40 years of wandering, and they've all died because they did the same thing. They didn't want to take the land, and they discouraged the hearts of the rest of the people. And he tears into them. Rightfully so but he should have at least given them a little chance. Because then in verse 16, we have those two tribes say, Moses, let us us build some sheepfolds for our cattle. Let us build a few little cities for our wives and our children. But we will go over with you, and we will lead in the battles to take that for the rest of the ten tribes. And Moses said, if you'll do that, Great, but here's the verse I want you to get. Verse 23. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. Eight words. Anthony, do you have them down yet? Be sure your sin will will find you out. My mother taught me those words at an early age. I remembered them all my life. I didn't obey them all my life. But they have been fulfilled in all my life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, if your strength is made perfect in weakness, then now it is your time to work. Have mercy upon us and bless us with this warning of Moses to the two tribes that will remember it all the days of our lives and sin not against thee, but to remember against the foolish imaginations of our deceitful hearts that indeed our sin will find us out. Sanctify the preaching of your holy word. We thank you for it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it?
You don't know it, and I don't know it. That's what the verse says. Who can know it? And it goes on to say in the next verse, I, the Lord, search the hearts. The Lord knows it. The Lord knows that our hearts are very wicked. And our wicked hearts, children, our wicked hearts tell us that we can disobey our parents, that we can have secrets that no one's going to find out, and we can get away with sin. We can get away with disobeying our parents. But that's your deceitful heart lying to you. Now look in your Bibles at Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8, and let's see that there were other men that thought that. The Bible's filled with it. I have numerous, numerous passages of Scripture I could use. I'll just use one or two. That men have often deceived themselves into thinking that I can sin and get away with it. God doesn't know. I'm going to do this in secret. No one will ever know. Ezekiel 8 and verse 12. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery? For they say, The Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. There's the lie. The Lord doesn't see me. No one sees me. My parents don't see me. My mom can't see me. The Lord doesn't see me. I can get away with this sin. That's a lie. And here's here's an example of someone lying to themselves that way in Ezekiel chapter 8. But there's another lie. Not only is the lie, God won't see me, the other lie is, God's not going to do anything about it. God's not going to punish me. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Now, I said that I was preaching primarily to the young people so that all of you older men would relax and I could grab your souls in guile. Because it applies to all of us. Our sins may be a little different than little Johnny's, but we still deceive ourselves with the same two lies. God doesn't see and God's not going to do anything about it. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, here's that lie. Be not deceived. Well, now Paul must already know that men are lying to themselves that way. Because he says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God is going to judge for sin, and you're lying to yourself if you think you can get away with sin. Be not deceived. When you're deceived, you're tricked into believing something that's not true. Two things, two ways people lie to themselves. God doesn't see me. No one sees me. I'm doing this in secret. Number two, God doesn't care. He's not going to do anything about it. And both of these are shown to be lies. There's two things against us. There's two things against that lie. There's two things about God you need to remember. First of all, He's omniscient. When we say He's omniscient, that means God sees everything. Look at Proverbs 15 and verse 3. Proverbs 15 and verse 3. God's eyes are in every place. When you're watching television without your parents' approval, He sees it. When you're reading something that you don't have your parents' approval, He sees it. You adults, when you're harboring resentment in your heart against a brother or a sister in the congregation, thinking that it's in the recesses of your heart and no one sees it, He sees it. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. If we ever let that grip our souls like it should, it would slow us down, wouldn't it? The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God is also omnipresent. When we say God is omnipresent, that means He is present everywhere. Or God is everywhere at all times. And so if He's everywhere at all times, where are you going to go to get away from God? You're not going anywhere. David said, if I went to hell, you'd find me there. If I went to the uttermost parts of the sea, you'd be there. If I went in the dark, it would be as light unto thee. Psalm 139. 
That was the psalmist already knowing his experiences with God. Be sure your sin will find you out. David knew that. But there's another thing about God. While God sees everything and his eyes are in every place beholding the evil and the good, God does judge sin. God will not let you get away with sin. He cannot let you get away with sin. His nature will not allow it. Look at Psalm 50. Psalm 50. Sometimes you'll think you've got away with a sin for a little while. They're called the pleasures of sin for a season. Psalm 50, I read at verse 16. Follow with me for a few verses. Unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth, seeing thou hatest instruction, and castest my words behind thee? When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him, and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. But I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Amen. God will sometimes be silent for a little while, and you'll think that you've gotten away with a sin. You'll think that you can be a lukewarm Christian and get away with it. You'll think that you can rebel against the word of the Lord and fornicate and get away with it. You'll think that you can hate your parents in your heart and get away with it. And for a little while, God may be silent. But do you know what he said here? It's only going to last for a little while, and then he's going to tear you in pieces. That's the word of the Lord. He will chase you down to the far ends of the earth and tear you in pieces. Be sure your sin will find you out. God is omniscient. He sees everything. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And God does punish sin. Amen. You cannot get away with it. You'll say, well, if I'm a lukewarm Christian, that's not as bad as adultery, is it? That's not as bad as murder, is it? God's not going to punish me for just being a lukewarm Christian, will he? He despises lukewarm Christianity. Right. He'll spew it out of his mouth. And he will chase that sin down. And he'll destroy you. He'll destroy your family. If we do not commit ourselves wholeheartedly, completely to the Lord. Right. Be sure your sin will find you out. Let's look at some examples in the Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4. The Bible has an expression called brotherly kindness and brotherly love. And it ought to characterize the church of God. It ought to characterize Christian families. But not all brothers love each other at all times. I have a brother and I have five sons. But we have two brothers in Genesis chapter 4. Two brothers. Their names are Cain and Abel. Abel was a righteous man and offered a sacrifice to God that God loved. Cain didn't want to obey God and offered a sacrifice that God didn't like. And God let it be known that he accepted Abel's sacrifice and didn't want Cain's. And he told Cain, if you do the right thing, I'd accept your sacrifice. Made it real easy for him. But Cain didn't want to do what was right. And so Cain killed his brother. Cain killed his brother. And went and hid his body. And the Lord came down and said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? And here in Genesis chapter 4, Abel said, I mean Cain said, Cain, the Lord came down to Cain and said, Where's your brother Abel? 
It's in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 4. And Cain said, I don't know. I know not in our King James Bible. I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? He tried to lie to God. Now, isn't that just the dumbest thing you could possibly do? But every time we sin, we're lying to God in some way or shape or form. Right. We think we're going to get away with it. I can, I can go against your commandments and survive. Cain said, I don't know where Abel is. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to know where he is all the time? Well, God knew where he was. And God saw that his blood, God said in verse 10, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And Cain was given a mark, and Cain was cursed by God, that the earth would not be kind to Cain because of that sin of murder. But he thought he was getting away with it. He thought he could kill his brother in a rage and get away with it. But God saw it, and God confronted him for it, and God judged him for it. Be sure your sin will find you out. It found Cain out. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. I don't have time, brethren, tonight to list all the sins in the Bible that you're capable of sinning. It'd take a long time. Every wife in here knows what she can do in depriving her husband of all that she owes him from her heart, from her body, and from her service in whatever way we want to talk about. The husband toward his wife the same way. Parents toward their children. You, I, Of course I'm not going to find out for a good while that you do not take any time training your children. But remember, brethren, it's not my eyes that are in all the earth beholding the evil and the good. It's the Lord's. He'll see. And be sure your sin will find you out. I don't want anyone to think that they can get away from the force of these eight words. Because we should fear before these eight words, all of us, all of us, at all times. Sins of the heart, sins of the mind. You know, we, can, we think we can think anything we wish, and no one knows what we're thinking. Because that's our little secret. We all have our secret little closets and our filing cabinets that we can pull out and pull out a file of what we think about so-and-so. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And Hebrews chapter 4 tells me that all things, including filing cabinets of your mind, are naked and opened. Those files are opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Amen. Be sure your sin will find you out. Well, I want to tell you about a father named Lot in Genesis chapter 13. He lifted up his eyes in verse 10 and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zoar. And so Lot chose the plain of Jordan where he wanted to live because he wanted to provide for his family. And it says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And every father in here is going to make choices relative to his profession and his use of time and he's either going to be a man like Abraham who always chooses God first and lets the Lord bring prosperity because I'll tell you something, Abraham was richer than Lot even though Abraham ended up with the bad property. Right. Listen, the Lord can make big changes. I, I'm, I read about Isaac that he sowed in one year and the Lord gave him a hundredfold. Now that's 10,000% return. That's better than the NASDAQ. Right. Amen. Sure. That's 10,000%. If a man puts the Lord first, but this man didn't put the Lord first, he put prosperity first, and it cost him, because where do we end up with Lot but in the city of Sodom, where it was burned up, and then eventually he's in a cave with his two daughters. His wife's a pillar of salt. His sons-in-law laughed at him because he was such a fraud in his religion. Be sure your sin will find you out. Lot had every advantage that Abraham had. Can you imagine if you had tagged along with Abraham out of the land of the Chaldeans and God was with your master, your uncle? The Lord could have been with Lot, right. but he chose to pitch himself toward prosperity. And it cost him. Be sure your sin will find you out. That family was destroyed. Turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Somebody under the age of 12, tell me how many children, 
How many sons did Jacob have? Twelve. Very good. Jacob had twelve sons. What was the name of son number eleven? Joseph. Jacob loved Joseph because Joseph was the son of his favorite wife. Don't worry about that. Jacob loved Joseph, and he gave him a coat of many colors, and the other brothers couldn't stand Joseph. The other ten brothers that were older than Joseph couldn't stand Joseph. They hated Joseph, and they saw Joseph one day coming out to them in the field where they were keeping their father's sheep, and they conspired in their hearts and said, we hate that little guy because dad loves him so much. Let's get rid of him. And so they sold him as a slave down into Egypt. And they took a sheep, a goat, and killed it. And took the blood of that and put it on Joseph's coat. And took that coat home to their father Jacob and said, We can't find Joseph. He's been killed by animals. Is this his coat? Is this his coat? And his father said, Yes, this is his coat. It looks like wild animals have killed him. And he was in grief. They sold their brother as a slave. Then they lied to their father. And for a year they got away with it. Are you listening, Andrew? For another year they got away with it. For another year they got away with it. For another year they got away with it. Is it still true? Be sure your sin will find you out. Amen. For another year they got away with it. But turn to Genesis chapter 42. There was a famine in the land, and Jacob sent his ten sons down into Egypt to get food so that the family could survive. They come into Egypt, and they meet the man in charge of distributing all the food. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them. He gives them a hard time. He uses a translator to keep them deceived as to who he was. And they begin to talk among themselves as they realize they're having a hard time getting any food out of this hard Egyptian that's in front of them. And I read in Genesis chapter 42 and verse 21, they said one to another, here are the brothers many years later. We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that Joseph was crying for mercy. He was begging them for mercy, and they didn't show him any. And they're remembering it many years later. When he besought us, and we would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And then we have some Holy Spirit-given narration about this event. They knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. Joseph was sitting on his throne, hearing these brothers talk to each other, about the fact that they were guilty many years later. Be sure your sin will find you out. Joseph was merciful to them, and God was merciful to them in a way. But I want to tell you something. God extracted from all of them all of their sin in the form of the emotional grief they had worrying about the guilt of their brother's blood being on their hands and the pain they witnessed their father Jacob in every day because Jacob would not be comforted. They thought they could comfort him after, the de- after telling him that he had died by wild animals and they were unable to do that. And they lived with that for years. And if you go read what they were like even after Jacob died, they were sure that after their father died, Joseph was going to exact vengeance on them. Constant fear. And what I want to show you from that is, sometimes God may not kill you. But he can do other things that are just as bad or worse. And that's to have guilt. 
and fear. Be sure your sin will find you out. Come over to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. It's eight words. You can say it in four pairs. Be sure your sin will find you out. Joshua chapter 7. Do we all remember how the city of Jericho was taken? The children of Israel marched one time a day around that city for six days, and on the seventh day they marched seven times, and on the seventh lap around that city they blew on their trumpets. Amen. And the walls fell down. And they went in and took the city. That's how the Lord takes care of cities walled up to heaven. I wonder if God gave those ten spies an opportunity to witness how easy it was to take a walled up city from wherever they were. But God had said something to all those Israelites when they went in and took the city of Jericho. God said, don't take anything. Everything in that city is cursed. I want it burned up. And I never want the city of Jericho built again. I want it leveled and destroyed completely. Do not take anything. But a man named Achan, and we're told about him in Joshua chapter 7 verse 1. Achan, his father's name was Carmi. His father's name was Zabdi, and his father was Zerah of the tribe of Judah. He went and took some gold and a beautiful set of clothes he found. And he took them home, and he buried them in the ground in his tent. Well, the Israelites went to take the next city in Canaan, and the city was Ai. And they went up to Ai with a few men, thinking, well, the Lord's with us. This is going to be easy. But the men of Ai came out and chased the Israelites and killed 30-some of them. 30 men died. And that night, when the newspapers had the account of those 30 dying in Israel, Achan sat in his tent, complacent, because he had gotten away with the sin, he thought. He had taken something and buried it in the ground. Do men ever think that way? I read about David one time being told about his adultery and Nathan the prophet with all the guile that God the Holy Spirit can give use the story of a rich man and a little poor farmer with a ewe lamb and you sure can see David's zeal for righteous judgment, can't you? Even the face of David being the guilty one. Here we have Achan. 30 men died. He doesn't do anything about it. And so God tells Joshua, who's the captain of Israel, to start casting lots to find out who has taken something from the city of Jericho. And they find Achan. And do you know what they do to Achan? They take Achan and his wife and all of his children and stone them with stones and burn them with fire. You say, that's too hard. That's what God thinks of someone who would steal something and then let 30 other men die because of it. Be sure your sin will find you out. Achan thought he had gotten away with it. It was in his tent and no one knew about it. Except the Lord knew about it. Because the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 6. 1 Samuel chapter 6. Every one of us right now can probably think of some sin that we think we've gotten away with in our lives. There is no such thing. Be sure your sin will find you out. Yes, the Lord forgives. Yes, there's forgiveness with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about sins that you've confessed. I'm talking about sins you've hidden. Big difference. Huge difference. I'm talking about sins you've hidden, that you think you've gotten away with. The Lord will chase you down unless you are begging mercy from him and confessing those sins. The Lord will chase you down in exact punishment for you flagrantly running against his word, especially when we know so much better. To whom much is given, much shall be required. You will not get away with it. We will all watch the trouble come home to roost if you try to sin and hide it from the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 6, 
Does everyone here know about the Ark of the Covenant? It was a little box that God had. And it was the way he was worshipped in the Old Testament. That little box had two cherubim on top of it that were like angels. And they were made of gold. And it was beautiful. But no one was to look inside that box. No one. But there was a time when that box ended up in a city of Israel called Beth Shemesh. That Ark of the Covenant arrived in Beth Shemesh. That Ark of the Covenant was the most exciting thing in the whole country. It was in the newspapers that it was in Beth Shemesh. It was on the news. They had the most important little item in the whole nation. And the men of Beth Shemesh thought, because it was in their city, that maybe they could just go take a peek inside that Ark of the Covenant and God wouldn't do anything. After all, it's not in the tabernacle. It's not in the Holy of Holies. It's been with the Philistines. It's come back home. God had it stop right here in our town. Obviously, he must be favoring us with its presence. No, the Lord could be favoring you with a temptation to see if your heart loves him enough that you'll obey his word. Because his word said, don't look in the Ark of the Covenant. In 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 9, 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 19, they looked in the Ark of the Covenant, and it says, The Lord smote the men of Beth Shemesh, because they had looked into the Ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people 50,000 and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. 50,070 men. That's how many we lost in all the years of conflict in Vietnam. The Lord killed in a day because they looked in the Ark of the Covenant and thought they could get away with it. Be sure your sin will find you out. We didn't take anything out of it. We didn't hurt it. We didn't destroy it. Be sure your sin will find you out. The Lord wants us to follow his word. And if you don't, be sure your sin will find you out. Look at 1 Samuel 28. 1 Samuel 28. For all those of you who know your Bibles better than our children, let me mention one briefly that we're passing over. And that's Saul, when he was told to kill the Amalekites utterly. And he saved the best of them. And Samuel found the best of them saved. And that was the difference between Saul and David right there. God took the kingdom away from Saul and gave it to David because King Saul did not kill the Amalekites utterly. He saved the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen. Even though he said we were going to offer them as a sacrifice to the Lord, it was not done the way that God had told him that it should be done. And he lost the kingdom because of that act. But I want to tell you something else about Saul. He was a profane man. A profane man is one who doesn't give enough regard to God's holy things. And after the Lord has left Saul, Saul is facing the Philistines, and instead of begging God for mercy, instead of finding a prophet, instead of doing something that was godly, instead of going to the priests and laying hold of the altar and begging for God, because when a man will repent and do it God's way, there's usually mercy from God. Instead, he goes to a witch. He goes to a witch and lies to her. And she says, who do you want me to bring up? And he says, bring me up Samuel. Well, the Lord blessed this little encounter (laughs) for the benefit of this lesson tonight. Samuel came up. And Samuel told Saul just what he thought of him for having bothered him. He said, I was at rest. What would you pull me up for? I didn't want to talk to you tonight. You should, you should read the conversation. It's right here in 1 Samuel 28. I've, I had a great deal of pleasure reading it. Why don't we go ahead and read a few verses? It begins in verse 15. Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? Now don't start wondering if maybe all these places called Hades and Purgatory and Limbo are maybe really exist. This is... 
from God for Saul's profane mind. This is not where we learn the doctrine of the life hereafter. We learn that from the New Testament. This is a lesson for Saul. And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. God's not helping me. The prophets aren't helping me. So I thought I'd go to a witch. Now that's good. Is that good logic? That is profane. That's that's a profane man. Samuel said in verse 16, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord has departed from thee and has become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Remember, it's it's going back to the Amalekites. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Now listen, be sure your sin will find you out. Saul wants to go to a witch, and and he wants the witch to call up Samuel, and he wants to find out what's going to happen in the battle tomorrow. This is the Lord's answer. 1 Samuel 28, verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. Hear those words? Wow. Be sure your sin will find you out? How would you like to get that message from Samuel, who has never told a lie in his entire life, being the prophet of God for Israel? And that's why, that's why Saul wanted Samuel. Tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell straightway all along on the earth and was sore afraid. How would you like to go into battle knowing that? Be sure your sin will find you out. He was the king of Israel, but he went to a witch. Instead of to the word of God, he went to a witch instead of the prophets of God. And he got Samuel all right. Tomorrow, you and your boys are going to be with me. Be sure your sin will find you out. I've already mentioned David, my brethren. Did David take some pretty careful measures to make it look like Bathsheba's child was Uriah's? Did he take care of Uriah so that he could marry Bathsheba? Did the Lord see it all? Did the Lord forgive David? Did the Lord fulfill, be sure your sin will find you out? Did David suffer for it the rest of his life? Be sure your sin will find you out. Come to 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman the Syrian was the captain of the host of the Syrians, and he had leprosy. He came to Israel to be cured by Elisha the prophet, and he was cured of his leprosy by dipping himself seven times in the Jordan River. You should all remember that story. But when Naaman was cured, he was excited because he had flesh like a child's again. And he rushes back to the prophet Elisha. Remember, Elisha wouldn't waste any time with him, wouldn't even come to the door. He wanted to test this man. Ah, the Lord is so good at testing whether we really love him. He comes to the door. He is the captain of the host of Syria. And Elisha won't even come to the door. He just sends his servant and tells him, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman throws a fit. I'm the captain of the host of Syria, and that's a dirty river to begin with. But his servants were wise, thankfully, and the servants said, Listen, if the prophet would have asked for all this gold that you've hauled over here, you'd have gladly paid it. All he said is, Go dip seven times. Why won't you do the, the lesser? That is so key. Yes, it is. You know, if the Lord asks us to offer our firstborn to prove our sincerity, that'd be one thing. But do you know what he asks us to do in a Baptist church? To go out and dip ourselves once in a river or a pond or a holding tank. I've, I always go run from that story to baptism because to me it is so precious to see how the Lord wants to try the faith 
of men who think they're noble and important to see if they will let another man stuff them down under the water in clothes and get wet. Because it's a test of our character and faith if we will humble ourselves before God. If God had asked for us to do something noble, men could do that and take pride in the fact that they did it. But there's no pride in baptism. It's letting other people watch you walk out and have another man stick you under the water. And I don't mean to make light of God's ordinances. I mean to make glory of his wisdom and how he arranges things. And how Elisha wouldn't even go meet him. But anyway, Naaman's cured of leprosy. He comes back and he wants to pay Elisha. And Elisha says, I don't want anything you have. Get out of here. But the servant hears that Naaman wants to pay. And so he waits until Naaman is going down the road. And that servant runs after Naaman and tells him, my master's changed his mind. Some companies just arrived, and we need some of that money and some of those clothes. This is in 2 Kings chapter 5. And Gehazi was the name of the servant. And he took some things the prophet said he couldn't have. And he brings them back. And he comes to the house. And he went and hid them. And we come to 2 Kings 5.25. But he went in and stood before his master. What do you, what do you brethren know about Elisha? What have I tried to teach you about him compared to Elijah? Twice. Twice the spirit of Elijah. Remember when Elijah went to heaven? Yes. Elijah said, what can I do for you before I go? Elisha said, I want twice of your spirit. Elijah said, you've asked for a hard thing. But the Lord gave it to him. Do you think Elisha saw Gehazi leave that house? Yes. Do you think the Lord saw it? Amen. And he went in and stood before his master. Are all of you children listening? Is Andrew Doring reading his Bible? Eric Sharon? Second Kings, chapter 5 and verse 25. He went in and stood before his master. That's Elisha. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went nowhither. I didn't go anywhere. He lied. He stole by taking something that didn't belong to him. He lied to Naaman. Now he's lying to his master. See what happens when you sin? Then you've got to sin again to cover that sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. But we're not done yet. Elisha said, Where have you been? And Gehazi said, I didn't go anywhere. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee, when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money, and to receive garments, and olive yards, and vineyards, and sheep, and oxen, and men servants, and maid servants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee, and unto thy seed. Sailors on the ship are throwing everything overboard to lighten the load. They're crying out to their gods to have mercy. Then they find Jonah sleeping down below. And we see in Jonah chapter 1, verse 6, So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they went and cast lots to find out why there was this great storm at sea. And wouldn't you know, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Proverbs 16, 33. Did they find out Jonah? Yes, they did. And they confronted Jonah and said, What hast thou done? These are pagans. I Listen, I get deeply amused in Jonah chapter 1, pagans being wiser than Jonah. What hast thou done? God told you to go to Nineveh, and you're on our ship going in the other direction? What hast thou done? You can see their whole their fear here. They have more of a consciousness of God and His judgment. The storm is about to tear this ship apart. And Jonah says, throw me over and it'll be okay. And so they did. Different generation than we live in today. It's not politically correct to throw men overboard like that. But they threw them overboard. And God had prepared a great fish. And you know the rest of that story. Jonah had to spend three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. And that's not the most pleasant place to spend a long weekend. 
Be sure your sin will find you out. He thought he, he was sleeping. Some men can be so complacent even in their sin. Lot thought he was so complacent in the city of Sodom. He was sitting in the gate of the city. Think He was on the city council of Sodom. Thinking that he had got away with it. And it ruined his whole family. Now Jonah learned a little tiny lesson. He didn't learn a big lesson. Because Jonah, when we leave the book of Jonah, is still of the same character as we found him in the beginning of the book. But be sure your sin will find you out. God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. He did not get away with not doing God's command will. God wanted him to preach to Nineveh, and he ended up preaching to Nineveh, even though he got there by a different means of transportation than he originally thought. He preached to Nineveh. Do all of you remember that Peter denied Jesus Christ three times? He must not have thought that anyone was looking. He thought that it was just that little maid that asked him, I think I've seen you with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter swore back, saying, I've never heard the name before. And he turned in one second of time. And across that fire, and across that courtyard, into the palace where Jesus was on trial, Jesus turned around and looked him in the eye in that instant of time, and the cock crowed. Now, I want to tell you something. There are some things worse than death. Amen. He heard and saw the word of Jesus Christ fulfilled in his life in one nanosecond of time. Amen. Be sure your sin will find you out. He denied the Lord Jesus Christ after he had said he would go to the death for Jesus. But on the third denial, he turns and Jesus looks at him. And if you've got a heart that's a heart of flesh, that is a child of God, God is able to do that and give you guilt and shame for your sin that is sometimes worse than death. And for the next several days, Peter was in torment. The Bible tells me he went out and wept bitterly. Bitterly. Ananias and Sapphira thought they could give to the church, but give deceptively. And brethren, they fell down dead right there in the church, and the young men came in, picked them up, and carried them out and buried them. The first church with a cemetery outside. And great fear came on the whole church in Jerusalem because of that. Be sure your sin will find you out. Don't think that you can hide your sin from anyone. You may get away with hiding it from your parents, but the, the Lord's on your parents' side. He's going to help them. I've seen it too many times, both on the receiving end and the parental end. You cannot hide it from God. The Bible tells me that even if you hide hatred in your heart, which there ought not to be any hatred in this congregation, Everyone in here ought to love everyone else. It's a commandment of the, of the word of God, and it tells us if we don't love one another, how in the world can we say that we love God right. if we do not love the children of God that are begotten of him? Yeah. The Bible tells me that if we hide hatred in our heart, he will find that hatred, and he will punish us for it. Be sure your sin will find you out. Hypocrisy is one of the greatest sins of all. Hypocrisy is when you act like a Christian in here, but you don't act like a Christian Monday through Saturday on your own. The Lord will find that out. I'm not going to read a lengthy passage in the book of Job that's a glorious passage. It's Job chapter 20. If you want to remember a good place to go read, it's to read Job 20 about the joy of the hypocrite being short. The whole chapter is Job 20 is about a hypocrite. Now, they were accusing Job of being a hypocrite, and they were wrong. But what they said about a hypocrite is true. And how God will chase a hypocrite down and his joy will be short. And God will cut him off and destroy him. We cannot have any hypocrisy in our lives. We have got to live what we preach. We've got to live what we hear. We've got to live what we read. And we've got to live it sold out. And brethren, it's going to be all we can do together to help one another accomplish that. But if we don't, be sure your sin will find you out. We are going to be left with a church without a candlestick. And we're going to be the congregation of the dead. But I want to tell you something. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. 
the good. The good. All the things you do in secret, my Heavenly Father says, He'll reward you openly. If you give alms in secret, no one else knows about it, brethren. He's going to reward you openly. This is, this is Matthew chapter 6. If you fast, but you come in here with your face all brightly shining because you've anointed yourself to make it look like you're not fasting, but you're fasting, you don't need for us to know that you're fasting. My Heavenly Father and your Heavenly Father that seeth in secret will reward you openly. If you pray in your closet, and I'm quoting the Lord, Je I'm paraphrasing the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll pray in your private closet, never seen by any man, our Father which is in heaven sees those prayers and will reward thee openly. Right. When you wash the dishes for your family, when you make the beds for your children who forgot to do it that morning or whatever the case might be, when you're at work working to provide for your family, when you are seeking to put down the flesh and turn the television off and no one sees the efforts that you make to serve the Lord in your life, I want to tell you there is one that sees, and his name is the Lord. Amen. And he will see and he will reward. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. That is comforting. Every thought that you have in which you give glory to God by putting down a little offense from some other brother or sister in here, you know what, you know what I'm talking about. We have to do it all the time. Every time you just say in your mind, throw that thing out, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to let that bother me. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to forgive that person. Every time you do something like that, the Lord sees that and he'll reward you openly. Amen. This lesson cuts both ways. I wanted all of our children, I wanted all of us to be reminded, be sure your sin will find you out, because it will. But I also want, to know, want you to know that private righteousness in your heart will also be found out and the Lord will reward it openly. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Amen.